Welcome to The Sword and the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trial today. Uh, we're glad to have you with us, and we would love to have you with us down here in Cape Coral, Florida on January 21 through 23. Right? right. We're having our Founders Conference down here. It is on the doctrine of God, and it's called The Only God. We're going to have a wonderful time together. We're looking forward to it. We have uh, Chad Vegas with us, who's a pastor out in California, James Dolezal with us. He'll be preaching. I'll be preaching. Vody Bauckham will be here preaching God's word. And then we've got uh, Daryl Harrison. Yeah. Just thinking, guys. Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker that are going to be with us. And so it's going to be a lovely time. Uh, space is filling up. And so look at founders.org and you can register for that conference. Also, uh, we're grateful to our FAM members. Thank you for your support and encouragement. And if you sign up for the FAM, you can check it out at founders.org. If you sign up for the FAM in the month of November, you get this sweet mug. Which is really Which, a nice mug. It is a nice mug. It makes your coffee taste better. And uh, if you're looking to get resources, if you join the fam, you get all sorts of resources. Another way to do that is to join us or buy stuff on uh, our Black Friday sale. Founders <laughs> is having a Black Friday sale. And of course, because we're super generous, we're just going to go ahead and extend it through Cyber Monday. So <laughs> Friday. I got to check my calendar to find out what all these days are. It's a Black are. Friday and then just something Saturday, something Sunday and Cyber Monday. If you do any of those days, then you're going to be getting uh, the sale going on. And Wonderful. we have the Wield the Sword uh, project that yeah. is in full swing. Episode one has been released. The uh, episodes from season one are coming very soon. And we have a matching gift option to support what we're doing with Wield the Sword. And so we would love for you to uh, join us, be praying that that work would be beneficial. Yeah, we uh, episode one's available on Amazon Prime. And so if you haven't watched it, we encourage you to go check it out. And if you appreciate what we are doing in the trajectory of that whole project that will ultimately entail at least 15 episodes uh, and you're in a position to help support this then we would ask you to do so and, and if you can do it this week then we will benefit twice because there's a gift available to match every dollar that comes in um, by the end of the month amen well today we have a chance to talk about dinosaurs and darwin <laughs> why charles got it wrong man i'm so excited about this my kids are excited about this episode we've been looking forward to it we have dr brian thomas from the institute of creation research with us brian thomas received a master's in biotechnology from stephen f austin state university which is in texas which sure everybody is. knows tom loves texas so brian you have a friend in tom uh, dr thomas has also received a PhD. PhD in paleobiochemistry from the University of Liverpool. And listen to this. He's author of Dinosaurs in the Bible, a contributor to Guide to Creation Basics, uh, Creation Basics and Beyond, Guide to Dinosaurs, Guide to Human Body, Guide to the Universe and Dinosaurs, God's Mysterious Creatures. And his dissertation Ancient and Fossil Bone Collagen Remnants is available in book form. Dr. Thomas, do you do anything other than write books? <laughs> I write articles. Fun too. <laughs> Wonderful. We are so glad to have you with us. Thanks for joining us on The Sword and the Trowel. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. Why don't you just get started, Dr. Thomas, by telling us briefly uh, about um, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and how it relates to the work that you do as a scientist. Well, I came to the Lord um, at a pretty young age, you know, about, about age 13. I was at a retreat, and um, 
and boy, I heard the gospel and it made sense for the first time. It was, it was clearly presented and trusted the Lord. So I, 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 I know, I know the Lord, you know, and, and I knew him back then, but boy, was I a bitty, bitty baby and didn't know anything else. And then I didn't get discipled at all. So when I went back home from that retreat, um, you know, I went back to school and I went back to public uh, education and television. And um, so I learned Darwinism. And I got to say that that Darwinism, um, this this concept that uh, I, I came from a fish, not from, you know, from uh, Adam, uh, just I, I was I, I evolved from a from a fish like ancestor through. Well, it was a fish, I guess, um, through eons. And but that doesn't match what Genesis says. And uh, like, not at all. And there was this tension about that, but I didn't really study Genesis and I didn't really study evolution. It's just, you know, it's scientific and everyone believes it. So I have to believe it, too. Mm. And so when I came back to the Lord in college, because I thought, well, and that was based on a moral issue. I, I thought I've been living immorally, you know, and, and I'm and I could see I'm going nowhere fast but by living on my own like this i need to get back to the lord and the lord provided a guy who discipled me and who answered all my questions and all my objections um and he's the one who challenged me uh, about my belief in evolution and and the, the millions of years that that um that it requires and you know how do you how do you date the fossils and how scientific is it? I mean, we, we got into some pretty, pretty tough issues. And in the, in the end, it took, it, it took um, I don't know, four or five years of me investigating the other side. It's like I didn't even know there was an other side. Mm. Um, and, and in fact, um, how ironic that here I was in college, 100 um, percent convinced that uh, that I came from ape like ancestors that came from fish over eons, naturally, not supernaturally, um, that creatures can morph between kinds from one into another, because that's all scientific. Um, and, and, I, and the very tool that God used to, to challenge that and to, and to re-educate me on that was a book by the founder of the Institute for Creation Research, for which I now work. <laughs> so, that's Henry Morris, so, is that right? Henry Morris. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I read I read a book by the founder, um, and it was it was funny because I was I was reading uh, reading through it, you know, and I had a yellow pad, you know, those, those legal notepads, and I thought <laughs> I'm going to write down every um, senseless thing that this dumb creationist is going to say, you know, and I was going to tear it all up because, guys, you know, I was 20 years old, and as you know, 20 years old, you know everything, so. I found out I didn't know everything after all, and uh, my pad was empty. Mm. Like chapter one, I read, my I I could find nothing wrong with what the guy was saying. Everything was backed up with science, mm. and he was defending a, a, a creation-based position without using any Bible at all. Just here's the science, and um, where is the experiment that shows evolution? I, you know, and, and here's a quote from a from a leading evolutionist who says, well, we have to believe in evolution, not because the science says it, but because the alternative is disgusting to me, you know? <laughs> so it's, a, 
there's a philosophical underpinning. It's, it's because we don't like God and we don't like creation. We don't like the Bible in our hearts. And that's why we've got this um, atheistic evolutionary worldview. And once I, once I realized, and, and by the way, he went through, I mean, rocks, fossils, biology, geology, astronomy, uh, stars, uh, you name it. And, and uh, quoting from the, you know, from the secular establishment in each of these areas, um, and I've got a story about Archaeopteryx I'd like to tell really quick, if that's okay. Well, you have to I say the word again. Sure. I love Archaeopteryx. <laughs> it's my, one of my favorite things to talk about. <laughs> Isn't it your favorite fossil? <laughs> Go ahead. Let's uh, hear the story. Yeah, let's hear it. Well, so the last day of zoology, this is, this is a taking zoology class, Professor Fisher, and that's not the study of zoos, guys. It's the study of animals. <laughs> You're going to make a note of that. Yeah, yeah, that's important. The, the last day, um, he puts on a, 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 an overhead, on the overhead projector, a, a picture of, of just the fossil archaeopteryx big. And so it's, it's projected to like 20 by 20. I mean, it's a huge screen in front of this lecture hall. And he says, if you don't remember anything else from this course that you just took, Remember that Archaeopteryx is proof of evolution. Okay? And so, basically, that was weird to me. It's like, wh why, are you, why are you preaching right now? You know, <laughs> I thought this was supposed to be a, a just, you know, an information dump. It's, uh, it's like all other college courses are. But okay, you know, if it's got feathers like a bird and, um, you know, little bitty teeth like a reptile, and it's got little claws on its wings. The wings are like a bird, but the claws are like a reptile. I guess it is proof of evolution, and I'm gonna, I got to go with that. Okay, so imagine my um, my interest level when I reached, you know, page eighty, whatever, uh, in uh, in the book I was reading, the creation book. And this creation guy, he starts writing about Archaeopteryx in particular, and I thought, what is this guy gonna say? And I was, I was. Um, just slack-jawed, you know, when I read that Professor Fisher's colleagues, now Professor Fisher, he's a zoologist, he's not a paleontologist. He's familiar with animals and things, and, but he's, he hasn't gone over to Germany and seen the original Archaeopteryx fossil, hasn't studied that. He's just taking his talking points from his, archae, his uh, paleontological colleagues. Okay, um, basically. So he's taking their word for it. So it's argument from authority. And I thought, well, what is this creationist going to do? He hasn't been over there to see this fossil either. It's, it's proof of evolution anyway. So what's this creation gonna, creationist going to do with it? And then, and I read in the book quotes from three different uh, evolutionists who were, all, who were paleontologists, familiar with the fossils and with Archaeopteryx itself. And, and they said things like, there's no known transitional form. And then Archaeopteryx, uh, based on its feathers and wings, was just a bird. You know, it was a bird. And I remember looking up, and basically, for me, that was a, a pillar that I could rest on, my faith of, in evolution. I could put it on that pillar and go, Archaeopteryx, this is proof. It's partly reptile, partly bird. And then I learned that, you know, there's lots of reptiles that don't have teeth. Think of turtles, some lizards, you know, and, and there's... It, just because something has teeth doesn't make it a reptile. It's just a 
bird with teeth. It's just a bird. And I, I thought, man, I've just been a fool deceived. I have been a deceived fool. Um, and anyway, so when that pillar fell, that was it. That was the domino, the first of many dominoes. And I had to go, I had to follow that to its logical conclusion and go, okay, if Archaeopteryx is just a bird, that's not really supporting evolution like Professor Fisher said it was. And in fact, even his colleagues who believe in evolution don't think it's all that. And so what is the evidence for evolution? And I had to go back to the drawing board and refashion my whole worldview. Mm. Mm. Well, we'd like to hear more about that, Dr. Thomas. Like work that journey that you took into um, just a basic general definition of Darwinism, what are the basic ideas that he taught, and then really how, why, how is he wrong? Why is he wrong? How would you explain it? We have a lot of Christians that listen to this podcast, and you put it in terms where they can kind of lay hold of it and have something to have in their pocket. Okay, I could try to do that. Um, in fact, I was, it was right at that time, I was, I was, starting to think maybe evolution is not, you know, it's not all that, it's not as scientific as I think it is, right? Maybe, maybe it's not. I, it, so I was open to that once Archaeopteryx uh, fell from its perch, so to speak, in my mind. And, okay, so zoology. In zoology class, they taught us about nadarians. Nadarians are, uh, you get your sea anemones and your um, jellyfish. Okay, and so Dr. Fisher taught us, you know, the first animals to have evolved were sponges in the sea, and somehow those evolved into anemones and other nadarians. And, and later on, something transformed uh, evolutionary, and this is Darwin's teaching that creatures can morph between kinds over time uh, through, through natural selection of the unfit. So in other words, you need to have lots of generations and lots of um, uh, opportunities for creatures to, uh, to die. <laughs> so lots of time and death and chance. Time, death, and chance is the unholy trinity of Darwinism. And, and I, I believed it because that's all I was taught. And um, <clears throat> Professor Fisher said, this, you know, sponge evolved into <clears throat> Nadarians, which evolved into uh, sea slugs, or the nudibranch. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's imagine a snail without the shell. That's a slug. Now, this is a big slug, and it lives in the sea. And um, so that's what we had to memorize for zoology class. This evolved into that, which evolved into that. Now, I'm in a church library and um, after service one day, and I see this, this um, creation magazine. It says creation on it. I thought, okay, I'm open to the creation question now. I better, I better start looking at this. And I opened it up, and I took it to my dorm room and started reading. And I got to one of the pages inside there, and it was all about the sea anemone and the nudibranch, or the sea slug. And here's what it said. And it's just one-page article. Uh, maybe it was a two-page spread, you know, but it was a picture. It was filled with pictures. Picture. By the way, Creation Magazine still is in print, and I still take it. Um, it's it's it, um, at the Institute for Creation Research. We have similar articles, but our magazine is um, called Acts and Facts. So, um, 
but it's all built on these, these, this magazine I was reading was, was basically, these are reasons why Darwinism is, is wrong. And this is stuff that you're not getting taught in school. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it, but it's real, it's real biology, it's real geology, etc. So I'm reading this and here's what it says in the sea and no, no, um, marine biologist knows how this, this happens or why, but it does. And so the, so the sea slug will eat the sea anemone, which by the way, has, is made of tentacles. And each of those tentacles is covered with a series of what are called stinging cells, stinging uh, or nematocysts for the nerds out there. And so when a fishy comes by, like a clownfish doesn't trigger it, right? No one knows how that works either. But if a not clownfish uh, swims by, those stinging cells will just shoot. And they'll just shoot their little tiny microscopic harpoon. And so they'll capture and catch little fish in between those tentacles just by the multitude of stinging cells, little harpoons. And then the anemone will eat and absorb the, the, that fish's nutrients. Well, the sea slug uh, eats, the, eats the anemone, does not trigger those sensitive stinging cells, and in fact, somehow holds those cells, just those, it, it digests all the tissue except the stinging cells, it holds the stinging cells in its gut, untriggered, still coiled up, still ready to be released, and it somehow transports just the stinging cells out of its gut and up into these little channels that lead to some finger-like extensions on its own back. And then it, 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 its uh, internal systems take that little stolen stinging cell and puts it in place in its own skin and orients it in such a way that it's ready to sting whatever kind of uh, would-be predator that swims by and starts nosing around on the sea slug. So the sea slug, you know, it eats these stinging cells, uses them for its own defense. And I thought, Professor Fisher never told me that. <laughs> All he told me was, this evolved into that, which evolved into that. Now memorize it and regurgitate that on a test. And so I did. And, and that's all I knew was that it was evolution. But now I'm confronted with this biology that doesn't make any sense unless a single mind understood the inner workings of both these animals, totally different kinds of animals, and cra crafted the one animal to have this incredible ability to steal specific cells, not trigger them, and use them for its own defense. I mean, evolution just went out the door for me after I read that, that one article. Mm. It just was, it was, natural processes cannot explain this. You can't have enough creatures dying, <laughs> uh, you know, over time. Uh, to explain this mm. and so you, you've got to have an engineer you know brian that's fascinating and and um i know you you swim in these waters uh you engage uh the scientific community that um so often seems to have proponents that are grounded in unbelief and they laugh at these arguments and they want to dispel them and very often do so uh, based upon what you've already uh, indicated in your own experience, you know, that it's at, at the bottom, there's a moral basis 
to their unbelief. And it's, uh, we can't, we, we have to believe evolution because the alternative is just unthinkable for us. How do you engage that? How do you help people to see that what's going on here really isn't a pursuit of understanding and truth based on the evidence, but there's, there are other things operating. Well, as a scientist, uh, typically I'm on the evidence side of that equation. So I'm, I'm, if, if I was a pastor, say, I'd probably, you know, uh, make myself more skilled and adept at uh, drilling into someone's heart, you know, uh, and I need to do that. We all need to do that as, as Christians. And I think, though, either way, if you if you if you want to drill into someone's heart and, say, you know, find out what is motivating you behind this, or if you're a, a scientist and you want to and you want to showcase or lead someone to conclude for themselves. And that's the key. Mm-hmm. Lead them to make their own conclusion because you can't preach, at least from the science side of things, you can't just um, pound um, pound that nail in, into that concrete. It won't go. So, so they've got to make the decision um, uh, uh, that, that the evidence itself actually does support creation not just creation, but biblical creation. And by that I mean, you know, this, it's not just that the, the, the death and chance part of the unholy trinity are, are lacking, it's also the time part. Mm-hmm. So, we have so many, we have so many time clocks, so many recent processes, so many fast-moving processes in all these different scientific disciplines that it's almost easy to talk about um, how does Darwin have enough time? To, for Darwinism to uh, to un, to have unfolded, you know, if, if if the history of the world is is actually a lot shorter. So, um, questions, questions are the key. We ask questions, and so you you know, so someone says, well, uh, and by the way, I had some friends over just last night, and they said their daughter-in-law just exploded at the dinner table at them and said, I can't believe you guys deny science. You, you deny science. And they just sort of looked at each other and said, well, first of all, calm down. It's all right. <laughs> uh, one tactic they could take with their daughter-in-law is to ask her during a time of non-conflict when she's calm, um, why do you get so emotional? If it's just a, you know, an issue of, of facts and science and data, then why, you know, why are you so passionate about, about it? So what we want to do is to get her and those who she represents to think in terms of, wait a minute, I'm acting like I'm defending a religious belief, which Mm -hmm. she is. Mm -hmm. That's why she's reacting so violently. Um, I'm not Dr. Spock. Like I think I am, you know, this, this sort of, uh, I'm a human robot. You know, I follow the evidence where it leaves. Uh, no scientist is like that. We're all people. Uh, that would be one tactic. Another would be to talk about the actual evidence. This is this is what I'd like to do. Um, it's not very effective, but <laughs> I like to try it. Um, I, I joke about that, but each person is on this journey, and God brings the right, you know, person into their path to. Uh, to ask the right question and to challenge them in the right way. And it might just be, you know, usually it, it, the transformation from evolution to creation, which I underwent, a lot of times it just takes place 
from looking at the difference that Jesus makes in someone's life. It's like you're full of peace. You have, you're all put together. Like you're a real person. (laughs) Mm. Um, I want that, you know? And, and so at a very personal level, then what, what, what makes you tick you, you Christian who's living the Christian life? Well, they all, they'll say the Bible does. And so when you go to the Bible, that's where you learn that creation is how it all started, not evolution. So then you got to go with, well, if, if, if Jesus is true and the Bible is true and it's true about my heart being sinful and it is, and I can verify that in my own heart that it is, um, then it must be true about everything else it says. So that's one avenue that people can start to see their own presuppositions. Another, another would be asking questions about why people are reacting or interacting the way they are. And then mine is to ask questions about the data. Uh, what experiment has shown you or, or proven that, uh, for example, this gal that, that I'm talking about, um, she's, she's equating evolution with science. In other, words, in other words, in her mind, science is evolution. And I understand that. I used to believe that too. But science really is supposed to be about that which is repeatable and observable. So which aspects of evolution, the part of evolution that turned a fish into me, like where, where do I observe that happening? And um, if you keep drilling in on that, you'll, because the answer is it's, it's, there's no data for that. It's just a story to replace God's word. Mm. It's, and so h- how do you expose that as being a story well, you ask, you ask for uh, the, the magic questions. You know, what do you believe? What do you mean by that? Uh, and how did you come to that conclusion? Those are the magic questions. What do you mean by fill in the blank? You know, science in this case, or evolution. What do you mean by that? And then how did you come to that conclusion? And so, so often we as Christians just, we, we don't drill into what they mean by what they're saying. And we don't, we don't, Show the care, I think, that we should for, for differing views and the people that hold those views. And, and instead we say, well, you're wrong. And we just want to just jump into this fight and, and start swinging our sword, so to speak, um, and, and, and saying, well, these other scientists say, blah, blah, blah. have you read about that? Then, well, all they're going to do is build up their own defenses, you know, and um, what we want to do is break those walls down. We want to build bridges. We want to be friends with people who believe weird things. Um, Jesus did that, you know, he was, he befriended, um, all kinds of folks. And then when they were adamantly opposed to what he said, AKA the Pharisees, what did he do with them? Well, he, he asked them questions, 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 questions. Who's, whose name is on this coin? Well, give to Caesar what Caesar's and look through the, read the gospels and see how many times he asks the, um, the opposing people, those who oppose him, he asks them questions. Um, over and over mm. before he calls them a brood of vipers. He eventually <laughs> does break down. <laughs> so, Dr. Thomas, let's bring in these dinosaurs. You have spent a lot of time uh, thinking and writing about dinosaurs. Why uh, have you done that? And then do dinosaurs fit into the conversation about Darwinism? If so, how? Sure. So dinosaurs, as your kids know, everybody loves dinosaurs. They're so weird. They're so big, you know, and they're so they're so not here anymore. <laughs> so, so they fill our minds with all these questions. Where did they come from? When were they alive? Where did they go? And those were my questions I had when I was seven and I went to my first dinosaur museum. And the answers I got were, well, they came from another reptile that was not a dinosaur that evolved. 
And when did they go? Well, millions of years ago, they evolved. And millions of years after that, they went extinct. And that was all millions of years ago. And that's my answer. And um, uh, so when I, when I found out, honestly, that the that secular scientists are, are pulling out like blood vessels from inside dinosaur bones, blood vessels with red blood cell, what looks like red blood cells still inside some of those little tiny blood, branching blood vessels like capillaries um, and connective tissue um, and dried down like mummified skin stuck to the bone like you'd see on a, on a mummy from Egypt or something. Um, when, when I read that in the, in the journal Science um, in 2005, I, th I thought, okay, something's not right with the story that I've been told about all those millions of years. Um, so what I found is that the this, this burial setting of dinosaurs in the ground, they're real, by the way, they're actual bones. I've excavated them, I've researched them, that's what I got a PhD in. Um, they're, the, the burial setting and the, the fact that they've got tissue in them, which looks fresh, you know, thousands, not millions of years old, um, those two features make dinosaurs such a powerful discussion uh, point that support the two historical events that Peter said that scoffers in the last days would scoff at. That is creation and the flood. So, so the flood explains the burial setting, how you get these huge animals buried in these vast rock layers that extend across multiple states, like one rock layer deposited at one time. Um, nothing like that happens today, not even close any setting of today. So you've got to have something that's not like today. So you have to have a, a world covering almost um, watery catastrophe. Well, that's what Genesis chapter six through the nine describe a worldwide flood. That explains how you get these things buried in the first place and fossilized because fossils aren't happening today. So something weird happened in the past. Well, the Bible explains that. And then, and then that, this happened recently. You know, we have recent creation is what Genesis teaches and recent flood and uh, thousands, not millions of years ago. And so that's, that's helps explain that narrative or that history that's in scripture helps explain um, what we see in these fossils. And so, so you go back to Second Peter chapter three, um, you know, and, and and then there he he says scoffers will come in the last days, um, and they'll be scoffing at. Uh, and this is this for this they 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 willfully forget, like they forget this on purpose. They don't want to know that by the word of God the heavens were, and the earth was, and, and so in other words, but they forget on purpose that the power of God's command, his spoken word, that's the way we get, we got the original earth and universe, the heavens and the earth by, you know, by creation and the, 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 the world that then was perished being overflowed with water. So they, they forget that on purpose too. So these two events, the creation and the flood, the, the recent creation, recent flood, they forget those two events. Uh, because it says there, they want to pretend that the next judgment is not on its way after all. And we get to live the way we want to live and do whatever bad things we want to do and pretend that there's no God, uh, no creator to whom we are accountable. And so that's what we live in today. It was the day that Peter foretold.
And so dinosaurs brings us back to creation and the flood because the details of those fossils are so, uh, they look so recently flooded. <laughs> so we can go right back to the Bible and right to your heart when we talk about dinosaurs. Yeah. Man, that's great. This is uh, wonderful. Appreciate so much your insights and willingness to uh, share those insights with us today. This is going to be a valuable conversation that will benefit uh, many people for a long time. Yeah, Dr. Thomas, if you stay around, we have um, an armory where we put some uh, content for those who are a part of our fam. And I'm always fascinated by talking about dating. I'd love to talk about uh, dating in the science world. How do we date? A little bit about carbon dating, maybe other forms of dating. I've got so many questions about that. So if you hang around for a very short conversation about that, that'd be great. Thank you so much again for listening to the sword and the trial do um check out founders.org we have the conference coming up in january for those who are coming we're looking forward to seeing you you can still register for that conference be praying that it'll be a wonderful time together